and welcome to Mac Gamecast episode 40. That's right, the big 4-0. I am here today with a bunch of lovely people, all my favorite friends, talk about stuff we'll get to in a moment. And we have Ted. How are you today, sir? Good. Doing well. Casper, how are you? Hey, lovely to be here. Back again. (laughs) Hooray. And Lily, the national hero whom I definitely did not slander 10 minutes ago, (laughs) um, is also joining us after... Uh, a long and sad absence. Hooray, hooray, applause, yay. Hey, finally escaped the field before I go back into it next month. <laughs> yeah, uh, how's, uh, yeah, you shared some cool stuff with us. I don't know how off the record that is, but. Um... <laughs> nope, it's it's completely fine, yeah. Okay, doing, cool. Doing tank stuff, a lot of fun. Yes. yes, it was really fun to see those videos. Um, you're transferring to, I don't know what to call it exactly. I was going to say like aviation. Thank you. I was going to yeah. say like chopper Academy flight school. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yep, Flight school. It's basically what it is. Right. Nice. Back to the OG dream, which yes. I forgot about and I remembered then forgot. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? You want to be a chopper pilot? And you're like, I've always wanted to be a chopper pilot. Moron. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right. Now I remember. <laughs> um, yeah. So the main theme today is going to be um, RPG games or perhaps more accurately CRPG games. What does the C even stand for? I can't remember. So so it's like it, it's sort of been backronymed to be classic. Uh, but initially, uh, it was computer RPGs yeah, because it was, it was the uh, distinction between tabletop RPGs and computer RPGs. But then the like field of video game RPGs sort of evolved quite a bit to be very different from the original style of RPG. So it became classic instead. But initially, it was just computer RPG. Interesting. See, I always knew what they were without even knowing what the acronym was. Because, of course, we have JRPGs, which are the Japanese ones, which denotes a certain style of combat and typically a grandiose story with lots of drama and, you know, flashy visuals. Um, perhaps I'm oversimplifying the JRPG genre. Don't hate me. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I guess Casper and Lily, you both play JRPGs. So mm. Final Fantasy I, I, and stuff. I don't know what fits each category. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's well, fine. I, I, think, I think RPG? the t- yeah, I think the term JRPG is a bit weird these days because you have a lot of RPGs that come from Japan that don't fit the traditional JRPG format. But are they then not JRPGs, but they come from Japan? Like the, the Japan part of J- Japanese RPG doesn't really... Like we're using it to describe a style of game when it's a country (laughs) it's a bit weird sometimes Uh, as far as i know it mainly denotes the combat that particular turn order yeah definitely but like modern final fantasy games don't even really use that system anymore like final fantasy 16 is pure action rpg and dark souls is japanese and stuff like that so but they're from japan right and the series is traditionally jrpg and in the final fantasy case and stuff I don't know. It, it it gets a bit weird and muddy at times, but yeah. It does get muddy. And today we're here to wash away the mud with all our <laughs> enormous <laughs> wisdom, our collective wisdom. Uh, what, what I find perhaps more pertinent, though, or, or detailed is, um, and I was just saying this before the show, is the three of you actually have real D&D tabletop experience, whereas I do not. 
And I think that's relevant to this discussion, particularly because CRPGs or classic RPGs, we'll just call them classic RPGs, are rooted in tabletop D&D. Um, all yep. these games, all your Baldur's Gates, you never know, winter nights, they use, you know, whatever that rule set system is one, two, three, four, five edition. Nowadays, they seem to use fifth edition, but for example, Baldur's Gate three is based on fifth edition. Um, so that's the relevance. So I find these games slightly difficult to penetrate into from a mechanics or gameplay standpoint, because I lack that familiarity. I'm used to complex game systems, but more straightforward ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually find navigating, you know, I played Baldur's Gate 3 for around 90 minutes or an hour 45. Um, and obviously I understand, okay, there's die rolls for everything, but, and I understand like the basics of what a saving throw is, but how all these systems mm-hmm. work. And I'm not used to having my spells like, oh, you can only use a spell once per long rest. It's like, what the heck? Why doesn't mm-hmm. it just have like a, five turn cooldown or something, you know, like, <laughs> um, so this, this throws me off and I'm, I, I only understand it on the surface and I feel like I need to go read a like D and D rule book and then go back to a game like Baldur's Gate three. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've not personally tried Baldur's Gate three yet. I was waiting on it to get like its official release, which in a new story, their official release is being moved forward by a month, uh, on the PC, maybe the Mac. I, I assume they're going to release simultaneously. Oh, the really? console release stays the same, but yeah. When are they releasing it now? Oh, uh, I think it was October initially. It, it used to be the exact same month that um, Starfield. Is that what it's called? The, the well, it one. still is. Yeah, Starfield yeah. September 5th. Okay, but then they moved it forward a month from that on PC. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but, um, but my understanding was that Baldur's Gate 3 was a lot better than the prior games of the style in um, introducing newcomers to the mechanics. Um, as I teased a bit last episode, I've been playing a lot of Pathfinder. And what I find to be Pathfinder's biggest weakness is that it has a lot of tutorial text to try and introduce you to a bunch of things, but it still expects you to know a lot of the mechanics from the tabletop game, just, you know, to, to play well. <laughs> um, and to understand why some things work and some things don't and such. Uh, I hadn't played Pathfinder, but I had played enough D&D to where I could pretty easily understand what was going on still um, with needing to look up a few things still. Um, but with, with Pathfinder Kingmaker, um, which is the one I've been playing, you know, some some things are just very obscure if you don't know what's going on. I, I do think it is a, a genuine weakness here, uh, but it also gives it some charm that it adheres to the tabletop mechanics, but they definitely should be better at onboarding people who aren't familiar with it in these style of games. Isn't the latest one Wrath of the Righteous? Uh, yes, Wrath of the Righteous that, has, yeah. Is that any like better in that regard, do you know? Like maybe better um, at onboarding? I've, I've not tried it yet. It's on my like list of things to try after uh, Kingmaker. But from what I've heard, um, they've made improvements in UI to make things more clear. But I don't know mm. if they've got better tutorial text or something. But at least the UI should be more clear. Because um, they're right. like the UI in um, in Kingmaker is fine. But there are some things where even I am sitting there like, I know I want to do this thing. I don't know how. <laughs> and I have to like figure, like Google it and figure it out. Like th- things like when you take a rest... If you're in the overworld map, you can assign someone to hunt and you can take a rest without having rations because you just hunt the food you need while you rest, right? Um, But if you're in a dungeon or something, if you want to rest, you need to use rations. Every single time I hit rest, 
the button just went, your your people aren't going to rest. You can just pass time. And I didn't understand why, because I had enough rations. It said you need six rations, you have seven or something like that. I didn't get it. You had to click the button that said you have six, seven rations, and it didn't look like a button at all. <laughs> ah, okay. It's almost so- like... Uh- the DM was like, well, check your sheet. Do you have the rations? And you never got, you never got the message, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. It was, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of small things like that in, um, in Kingmaker. But, you know, all in all, it's, it's very, very good and solid and, and well-built. Like, I, right. I'm very impressed with how big and how well-made everything is, given that it's uh, at least partially crowdfunded through Kickstarter and uh, as far as I've understood, Owlcat's first game, though a lot of the people may have prior experience in the industry and stuff, but it's it's very impressive. Um, yeah, uh, speaking of Owlcat again, and I know Lily and I are the big Warhammer fans here. So Rogue, they're also making Rogue Trader, which already has a Mac beta. I don't know if that's advertised, but if you go and buy it off their website, you you just you get a Mac version as well. It'll be on Steam later, so the same Steam Play stuff. Uh, once again, I played around 90 or so minutes, an hour 45 of Rogue Trader, which is really interesting. Um, anyone familiar or unfamiliar with Warhammer lore, well, the Rogue Traders are well, much like their name. They're basically traders, but uh, not traitors as in trader legions, but, you know, they they have a wide mandate to explore, trade. They do a bit of fighting and espionage. They're kind of like a multi-role like a whole bunch of things bundled into one but most importantly they have like a special license or edict from like the emperor or the imperium of man that like lets them run around and do what they want and kind of be apolitical and this and that um maybe lily maybe you have something to comment on this because i've been playing it a bit because in rogue trader you know the story is very 40k and you end up in soon enough in command of, well, the ship it's of a, of a rogue trader ship, but first you're serving under someone else, but all this, you know, betrayal happens, typical 40k stuff. Oh no, there's cultists and heretics and, and oh no's and not all that stuff. Um, but later on, I know from the promo materials and the demos and stuff, like you can, you can recruit a sister of battle, um, which I know is one of your favorite things. And but more importantly, um, you can also recruit. I think an ultra uh, is it a gray wolf or an ultramarine? You can get a space marine. Uh, I forget exactly which chapter. So what I'm wondering is, from like a D and D tabletop term uh, standpoint, how do you balance like having just regular humans in your party, you know, commissars and like a rogue trader captain alongside like a sister of batter, battle or an ultramarine, like? Because the sister of batter, batter, <laughs> sister of batter, they make really good pancakes. Um, wow, we're already yeah. back to the going back to the kitchen jokes. Goddamn, <laughs> I, was, I was unintentional. I brace as I stumble over my no, words. First, still. you slander my name, and now you're saying that that sisters of battle just need to go back to the kitchen. What's next? Well, no, that she's got like a field, uh, you know, a field grill. She just like grills them <laughs> on her armor or something. Like just just pops out and like an arm, arm arm mod. No, but that like, would actually you, be useful. Yeah, but how do you balance like the power level of these characters in a party from a D and D standpoint? Because lore wise, they don't add up. Some of them are just way stronger than the others. So I'm curious. I know you haven't played the game, but like you've you've participated in a number of D and D campaigns. I know in Warhammer as well. So do you have like any thoughts on that? Like how it could possibly be balanced? Like how does this how do these couple characters not just like steamroll everyone? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't played Rogue Trader, but I've seen like a couple of videos and whatnot. But I think really at the end of the day, when it comes to characters like that in, in any you know genre of RPG, either like the balancing comes down to either you don't, like you just don't <laughs> balance it. That character is just going to steamroll everyone. And there's some sort of narrative reasoning for them not being present in a certain area like oh they're they went off to go chase these chaos guys or they're you know he's he's keeping your flank clear or something like that you know something to write them off or they're going to give some sort of limitation in in a in a good narrative that limitation makes sense um within the confines of a story um like He's recovering from a wound that's going to take him a while, or you know, he you kind of found him out in the middle of, of nowhere. He doesn't have all of his armor, all of his weapons, so he's not as effective as a normal space marine would be. Um, there are ways to make it work, um, you know, and even mm-hmm. in even in Pathfinder like fantasy style campaigns, right? Like the enforced character limitation is a is a go-to for a lot of gms i know that for certain but um i don't know exactly how they will do it in um rogue trader but it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see and i think it can be done and it'll it'll bring that much more 40k to rogue trader which you know to be fair 40k is 40k is a very uh it tries to be like super super serious but it's it's honestly a little silly right like once you once you pass a certain <laughs> level of of uh destructiveness and and warfare it's like it's like the um what is it the uh the dragon ball thing right where it's like oh you 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 beat this big bad you beat frieza who's this powerful well uh haha this person's twice as strong and it's like you know, it doesn't doesn't really mean anything anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've, I've I've found that my enjoyment for 40k grows, or rather, has grown the moment I stopped uh, looking too much into the lore. <laughs> <laughs> I also like think it's important to like note here that there's a like while these games can take the the systems from tabletop games, um, they they often do change them a bit because there is a big difference between the context of a tabletop RPG and the context of a video game, uh, where if you're sitting at a table with, you know, five people or whatever, there's a lot more to it than just fighting. Um, And while you want everybody to have times where they can shine, give them all a moment, uh, it doesn't all have to be in combat related things. Uh, I like playing bards. I've I've got like played several bards in my campaigns. Uh, and I don't mind that when it comes time to battle, I'm not the strongest on the team. I'm not the one who deals all the damage. I'm not the one who can take all the hits and so on. Um, because I like I have fun with the role playing parts in, in that bit, right? And I I can still do important things in combat, like you know buff people or whatever. Um, but there's more to it than that, especially in the context of a tabletop setting where my time to shine then could be when we reach a city and I have to do performance to impress people or whatever, right? Um, if you're in the context of a video game, 
they may try and have a lot of these uh, non-combat moments to shine as well to balance out the strength of the party. But uh, with a, a lot of games, there's just going to be more focus on the combat mechanics. Um, and that's fine as well. But that means you can tweak the systems here and there a bit to make it fit better for that. And a lot of them do. Um, yeah. Uh, so so there's like... Also, like you, you, when you're sitting at a table, you almost want fewer dice rolls than on a video game right because like if you have an encounter every five steps you will get a bit tired of that if you have to roll dice all the time at a a table but a video game can do all the math for you behind the scenes so it's it's fine to have a lot more combat encounters maybe with fewer encounters per like fewer enemies per turn or something like that Uh, but just doing a lot more of that um, which may also mean that to make like facilitate that they give you a spell slot or two or more or something because they can do all the math math for you so you don't need to sit there as long over the nitty-gritty math of the dice rolls and adding your bonuses and all that um, which also means they often go more crazy with giving you a, a lot more bonuses and stuff to you know make the numbers higher because they'll they'll worry about doing all the math for you and stuff so there there are some big differences between the formats that you can take advantage of when you design around it Right. I just dropped a photo of one of the stat screens. This is just like one of many for Rogue Trader. Hmm. Um, so it's pretty extensive. Uh, yeah, uh, Ted and also Lily, like what, you know, once again, you guys coming more from that D&D, I don't, I don't know if you call it background, but, you know, as people who play both tabletop and computer RPGs, like kind of what's your experience, or maybe even preference there, like maybe starting with Ted. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I have to really agree with Casper. It seems to me that most of the uh, computer-based ones are uh, combat-centric, <laughs> or for lack of a better word, it's you know it's all about that. It's all about the motion, and you know when you're playing at a on a tabletop, it's it's a lot more of the thinking and a lot more of the um, the mechanics of different people doing things different ways, and that's one thing you I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know if there is a computer-based uh, role-playing game where you can actually have a multiple multiple players. Where you know, like, um, like I noticed that, like we were, we were talking about Pathfinder. I think that's just a single-person player, right? Mm-hmm. So the dynamics of you know four or five people in a room, all with different attitudes and feelings, gets lost. And uh, that's actually one of the more fun aspects of it, at least from a, a DM standpoint, which I used to do years, <laughs> centuries ago. Um, <laughs> you know, people could come up with amazing thoughts. And, you know, if, if you keep your head op- mind open, you can twist what they're doing to, to pull more interest into the game. Um, but you don't see that in, in the computer-based ones. You know, there's none of this. Uh, flying <laughs> on this, you know, coming up with ideas on the fly type of thing. But nevertheless, I mean, and then, and I don't think, you know, I guess people who play tabletop are probably a little bit more into, I don't know. I'm trying, I don't, I don't know what the word for it is. Interaction with other people. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the, you know, the computer games, you know, you can tend to be like me by myself. It's like one of the reasons why I like to play MM, MMOs is because there's other people. You can, you know, and sometimes it's really stupid stuff. 
a lot of times it's good. So that that's my thought on it. So, Just a quick comment on that before we move on to Lily. Um, so I think either Neverwinter Night 1 or 2, one of them, maybe both, I don't know, did actually have a multiplayer mode. mode but yeah, I did. think it... Exactly. I, I think it's the only one I can think of that had that, but that was a thing. And they even had like a be your own DM kind of thing where you could make maps and adventures for other right. people and stuff. So that is true. That is true. I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't think to mention that, but that was one, that was such a unique game. I, <laughs> it almost doesn't fit in the role. Yeah. But uh, that yeah. was, I actually played it online with two other people. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's true that it was uncommon, at least back in the day. Almost all of them were single player, and only, I think of the old school ones, Neverwinter Nights was the only multiplayer one, prominent mm-hmm. one. Maybe there's some little indie spin-off thing, and I just don't know about it. In more modern times, you'd have to go to like Larian Studios, Divinity Original Sin One and Two, but those aren't game. Those aren't. I wouldn't call them. A, they are, those aren't CRPGs, though. They're just turn-based tactical RPGs, in my opinion. Because um, they streamline most of the D and D stuff out mm-hmm. of the game. There's still some complex systems at play, but it's like way more straightforward. Um, but they do have multiplayer. Um, Th- this is where it gets muddy because I would still label them CRPGs, even if oh, yeah, they don't. Would. Yeah, well, even if they yeah, don't true. use all the systems. But yeah, that's that's fair. Um, there's CRPGs. They're just not the rule set. Like, here's here's a fair distinction. It's it's more of a classic RPG. It's just the rule set is not rooted in D and D whatever X edition. Sure. sure. Um, and there's no front end. There's nothing off. There's no, there's you wouldn't look at the skills or this or that. There's nothing about dice rolls. There's no chances to hit. Mm. There's not like a wild range of attributes and races and sub races and classes and feats. You know, it doesn't use any of that. You have like yeah. attributes, talents, skills. That's it. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um. Although it's still, you know, you still have like 200 plus spells and over 12 different, I think, skill schools. And, you know, the game's fairly deep. I don't want to sell it short. And you can get up to all sorts of shenanigans in the world that are like not obvious. And, you know, player create creativity is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but the D&D rule set takes that to another level, like several yeah. steps beyond it. But I, you know, so you gain that crazy amount of freedom but then maybe the price you pay is well there's sort of this layer of accessibility you have to like get over or Mm -hmm. learn to like really get into that experience but um lily did you want to comment at all about maybe your your D experiences versus computer gaming experiences or anything like that yeah no i think uh everyone else really kind of hit on it already it's that human aspect is the biggest uh biggest difference because with you know, especially when when you factor in balancing, right? Because um, if you have a player that you trust to um, be more focused on narrative and not just, oh, look, I have you know this uh, stat block that lets me one hit everything, so no one else feels like they're useful in combat. You know, like um, a good example is uh, one one character I've had for a long time. Um, she's actually like an angel in disguise that is, uh, she just pretends to be a, a paladin. Um, and her whole deal is that she's like a part of an angelic faction that sort of guides the mortal races and makes sure they're doing the right stuff and not, you know, summoning demons and all the good stuff. Um, so in combat, she could very easily like destroy most of the things that we fight. 
but because I have a fake out character sheet and because the DM trusts me to just like, you know, not not just bring out the real character sheet and say, hey, look, I'm actually CR20 and get screwed, everyone. <laughs> like, you know, um, it, it allows for that really, really interesting story and then led to this huge reveal. And it's like, it's it's this amazing character concept that you can you can use but you have to have trust for it and i and there's that was just an example there's lots of lots of cases where people have characters that are stronger in some areas not so much in others and then you trust the player to make that balance Mm -hmm. but when you're playing a video game when you're not there's no other player it's just the computer right um and then there's different levels right there's there's um, some uh, RPGs or CRPGs where you have control over all the characters. There are some where you only have control of your own character and the others are, are computer managed and you can interact with them. You can change their stats, but they still do their own thing. Um, you know, d- and depending on how that goes, like um, it can, it can really affect the narrative and the flow. And so I think not having that human aspect it's a boon in some ways for storytelling um, just because it allows for a more predictable path. And so you can have a fully controlled computer game because, you know, you don't need to rely on characters doing something that the story doesn't really anticipate. But then on the flip side, you lose a lot of that as well. You lose um, that, player balance like the the artificial balancing in a sense of how someone would play a character right and i and i guess it kind of takes away from replayability as well because you know you know the first time you go through that game you know after that what those characters are you know like Mm -hmm. you can't you can't replay the same campaign with different characters because those are the characters that's what is there Mm mm-hmm Right. Yeah, it's inherently just a very different format, and it's it's almost kind of impressive that the two very different formats can use the same same systems and get away with it so well. Like, because <laughs> they are so different, right? But it it, it somehow works still. Um, but like on on that front of the dynamism and how characters are different and stuff, like obviously a CRPG can never reach the the human level of being dynamic to whatever everyone is doing and stuff. Um, but if if you'll excuse me for geeking out about Pathfinder yet again, um, I think that's something that they've actually achieved to a surprisingly good degree, given that it is all pre-programmed, where all of the characters... So you control all of the characters in combat, uh, but outside of that, all of the characters have their own opinions about everything and comments on things you do and gives you suggestions and everything. Um, but it's it's so dynamic that you know characters can choose not to be a part of your team anymore if they disagree too much with what you do um and like even little things like my barbarian loves her her um her sword i can't change her sword every if i try and give her another sword she just goes nah i don't like it Uh, (laughs) but that's that's like a simple little thing that that is actually combat one of the things where you usually have control over them but it's just such a big part of her character that she's attached to that sword that she refuses uh you can give her additional swords, but you can't take that one away from her. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think Divinity Original Sin um, walks that line pretty well, in my opinion. Um, obviously, there's a fixed story with like certain acts and certain bosses, but the 
freedom. Well, for one, you can play a custom character and there's a bunch of different characters and races and skills and combos. So you could have a like wildly different combat experience, like nothing alike your other. Uh, certain major choices will remain kind of the same because it's true. This isn't a true like freeform DM. You know, you watch a little critical role, for example. I watched mostly the wrap ups and they're like, you know, and Matt Mercer, the main guy, he's like, yeah, well, if you went over here, I had this whole other storyline planned in this direction, but you never went there. So it didn't happen. And this is so the video games kind of have that to an extent. We're like, oh, well, if you make maybe major choice A, it unlocks like these side quests or this thing or B, well, then it kind of goes over there. And But that's where the replay value can come in done well. You can make a different major choice and be like, wow, maybe I'm fighting for a different side or maybe I unlocked new items or characters I didn't realize or maybe I chose to betray someone instead of help them or blah, blah, blah. You know, some games do it better than others. Um, I think Larian Studios does it very well. Um, I replayed Divinity Original Sin 1 like two or three times because it was pretty good. Divinity Original Sin 2, I actually didn't like as much and only played it through once. Not to say there wasn't replay value. There was, but I didn't feel as compelled by the game. And I think this goes back to what Lily was saying, is that Divinity Original Sin 1 was really only designed for two players, I think, in the multiplayer. You could technically do four, but the extra characters were NPCs recruited to the party. (laughs) The game was really kind of a duo game for one to two at its heart. Divinity Original Sin 2 opened that up to be a full four-player game with all sorts of, like, player shenanigans in mind. And I'm not saying it's a bad story or a worse game for it. Just for my preferences, I preferred this sort of, I guess, it's odd because I think the story in one was both tighter and more whimsical at the same time. And Divinity Original Sin 2 was a lot more freeform because of kind of the stuff you guys have been talking about. More player agency, more randomness. So, like, the story has to allow for the broader like player actions. Um, so it's really, I, I think at that point it just boils down to a matter of preference. What kind of player are you? What kind of stories do you enjoy? Um, it's definitely true. Video games skew combat heavy, even when they have good stories. For example, once again, going back to the Larian studio games, I think they're great. Baldur's Gate three from what I've played and seen seems to have a really compelling story as well. Mm. Um, I mean, it helps it has, like, top-notch visuals, like, camera angles, voice acting, animations, everything's, like, incredible, like, very impressive, so it really draws you in. But nonetheless, it has a compelling story. Um, you know, you it's not a spoiler to say you end up, uh, you know, you just wake up on a mind flare ship, and oh. uh, you've got a little tadpole thing implanted in your head, you know, that, like, wiggles around and it's going to kill you, but it also, like, gives you some powers. Um, so, but then it comes under attack by, I don't know, dragons or some shit. So the whole thing's like going down in flames and you're running around trying to escape. It's a very epic opening. Um, but then, you know, much like Divinity Original Sin 2, it kind of has these origin characters you can pick who have Mm -hmm. like predetermined backgrounds and traits and personalities, or you can just make a custom character. Um, and then, you know, of course you meet those other origin characters as other major characters in, in the story and you can have them join your party and so on and so forth. But yeah, the, for me, I like the idea of this sort of, uh, how do you, how would you say it? The story complexity, a game rooted in D and D rules can bring, but it's the combat complexity that I haven't wrapped my head around yet. So I've just like totally fumbled my way through it and failed a lot because not understanding the systems. I don't, you know, this was a very early build. I tried this probably like two years ago at this point. Um, maybe even more. It was like when it first came out. So I don't think they had much in the way of tutorials yet or anything. Now I'm sure they do. But to be fair, the UI is 
pretty complex. Like there's an enormous tab of like, oh, here's like 20 different actions you can do over here. And here's all your spell books. No, it's like your short rest stuff and your long, long rest stuff and this and that. And I'm just like, oh my God, what is all this? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say this as much as I absolutely adore the Pathfinder game. If like, I don't think it's a good starting point. So I do think you, you get familiar with Baldur's Gate 3 when it comes out. And then if you really like, if you like that, then the Pathfinder games are great too. Um, but just based on the systems that they're built on top of, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, but Baldur's Gate 3 is based off of D&D 5e, as you mentioned earlier, which itself is a simplification of prior D&D systems that put more emphasis on role-playing than the combat and all that. So being based off of that, I, I expect it to be a lot simpler than something like Pathfinder, which is based on or evolved from D&D 3.5. Um, so it's it's a lot more nitty-gritty about the the systems. Um, mm. one, one thing that tricked me up a lot early on in Pathfinder is um, you have all these like bonuses to things, right? Um, but bonuses of the same type don't stack, which means that there's going to be a lot of your bonuses where every single time you're like, should I use this spell to enhance this thing on this character? You go in and check, do they already have something of the same type of bonus? If they do, this doesn't actually add anything, even though the spell says it adds plus two, but they already have a plus two from morale bonus or whatever. Uh, and there's just so many of these things to keep track of. Um, the game initially shipped as real-time with pause, which I mm-hmm. think a lot of the old CRPGs did. Like I think Neverwinter Night was the same and stuff. Um, I much prefer playing it in turn-based mode, which fortunately is a thing it has now. Um, and the, the, the turn-based mechanics are you know, really solidly built given that it was initially designed around real time with pause, similar to, you know, also Dragon Age Origin and stuff. Um, but I, I recommend the turn-based system. It gives you more time to, well, I mean, you always have infinite time to consider things because it's real time with pause otherwise. But just that structure of this person acts, this person acts, this person acts. Because even if you play real time with pause, it still goes on the turn system where every single character has six, six seconds per turn and they have initiative order uh, and stuff. So right. you might as well do a turn-based, I think. But yeah. Yeah. I've never liked real-time with pause games. They've always annoyed me because it's tough to play them in true real time. But then when you pause, it feels weird because it isn't actually turn-based. It just it feels like you're cheating. Like you have a time stop skill. <laughs> mm. To me, there's always been a dissonance yeah. of like the gameplay mechanic. I understand why people do it, but I'm like, just make the game fully viable in real time or make it a turn-based game why do this mm. awkward mishmash anyway it's never been for me but mm. maybe i guess i agree like it. it was actually the the discovery that i found out that pathfinder had a proper turn-based mode that got me to buy it because otherwise i was like i like all the other things but i really don't like that it's real time <laughs> with pause and then i was there's a turn-based mode i am getting that <laughs> <laughs> nice um, speaking of this narrative focus i wanted to talk a bit about rogue trader because mm-hmm. it opens up with quite a lot of story which is great because like lily was pointing out rightly earlier the less she looks at like 40k lore the more kind of she enjoys it i would agree with that knowing some 40k nerds at my local game store and you know when they're playing sometimes it's like oh well this army can do this and this guy can do that and you know it's (laughs) just like oh my god you know um and well they should be able to do this and they should be able to do that and they have like 10 pages of stat sheets to back it up and it's just like anyway whatever um, I think that's where the game kind of falls apart, but where it, like Lily, when I asked her earlier about like balancing, 
this is where it can shine. You can take this, you know, wide array of uh, power level characters or, you know, maybe someone's, you know, way higher or lower based on race or technology or spiritual or chaotic power or whatever it may be, because all of that's in 40K. You have, you know, for lack of a better word, light and dark side powers, light and dark side, not to make it sound like Star Wars, but broadly speaking, that's accurate in 40K. I guess you see, I guess you have people in the middle, like the Tau or um, the, the, the Adeptus Mechanicus, who are all about the machine gods, machine spirits, but whatever. Um, but yeah, it's very story heavy, and I enjoyed that. It wasn't just like, here's your combat. At some point, combat came up, but it was a good 45 minutes, maybe an hour into the into the game, I think. Um, and you did mention Pathfinder being nitty gritty, and I was overwhelmed by rogue traders thingy because as i already said i'm not familiar with any with any depth on these type of systems and uh rogue traders seemed yeah even more way more nitty-gritty than like Baldur's gate and, and i was already like struggling with that if i put the time i could learn but i didn't want to take time a bunch of time to learn the game i just wanted to jump in and check out this 40k rpg game mm-hmm. so it hit all the notes i wanted with story and atmosphere and setting writing was excellent the combat I played was cool, very 40k. Um, but yeah, like, oh, you leveled up, and here's like 10 level up screens and things you have to read and learn about. I'm just like, oh my god, help! <laughs> <laughs> and there's all these multipliers and percentages and this and that, and I'm just like, okay, cool, but I have no idea what this is. They have, I'm not trying to slander Owlcat here. Uh, they have a bunch of external links, like oh, here's guides. It's not in the game yet because it's in uh, it's not even in beta. It's in alpha. Mm. Um, so they have write ups on it. I think on Steam or maybe on a Google Drive or something. It is there, but I was just moved to demo it. Not like okay, I'll take an hour or two to go read all this stuff. Right. Naturally, I'm sure the final game will walk you through it and pop up some blah blah blah. But um, but yeah, but but this narrative thing, um. I did appreciate that in, for example, the Divinity games, You, if you put a lot of points in the Persuasion skill, which I always did, you could actually talk your way past a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem I have with that is, and I think this is something that perhaps Baldur, or D&D-based, truly D&D-based games might fix, is in Divinity games, you only get XP for completing quests or killing things. So talking your way past a huge fight is actually of no benefit to you XP-wise. And in the Divinity games, all XP is finite in the sense that there's no way to farm or grind. So you're basically always incentivized to fight because right. that's how you level up. So not to mention killing like elites and special guys. They, all, they usually have unique items and stuff. Although maybe you could pickpocket them if you have eye stealth and pickpocket. But that's what always bugged me is you got zero XP for, for persuasion. I dumped like five, you know, a ton of points into persuasion, talked my way out of crazy situations that I had no right to do. And then it's just like, okay, here's no reward. And I'm like, what? Then he usually turned around and picked the fight anyway. Yeah. Because I wanted the XP. No, um, I, I can say with confidence that Pathfinder does give you XP for using your skills. Whether right, it's persuasion yeah. or it's disarming a trap or you know, climbing a wall, whatever. You know, if, if you do something that requires a character to do something impressive, they right. reward it. Right. So I'm sure Baldur's Gate would do that. Because I also enjoy I don't know if that it definitely wasn't always true. I mean when I was I've always enjoyed a good story because I like to read a lot of books, but um, I think as I've gotten slightly older, not that I'm that old, but um, <laughs> I mean, Lily likes to call me old man because I am compared to her, but um, you are an old man. <laughs> <laughs> I am 37. Um, but I definitely like, 
I, I wouldn't want a pure like narrative RPG game. I guess it's not entirely true. I did play that little space one with the dice, but that was like a light RPG. That was more inspired from board games rather than tabletop games. But it didn't have any combat. It was just sort of exploration, adventure, story stuff. But that was also like a quote-unquote bite-sized game. I think it took me six to eight hours to play. I don't think I would want to play like a 40, 50, 60-hour, whatever, 100-hour RPG that was like all story, no combat. What about um, Disco Elysium? Because that's basically that, right? That's true. That's true. That That's such a unique game that it pulled me in. I think if it was done in a more like style of what we're talking about let's call it a D game um maybe it's because these games are often set in fantasy or sci-fi worlds that i have a certain expectation of combat maybe it's that but disco elysium is you're just this everyday i mean okay it's still a fictional world but it's quote unquote the real world with more or less real world rules mm. barring a few certain things um so i've diff- I, I guess it's for me it's a matter of expectation Right. Um, but Disco Elysium is, like, in a lot of ways similar to tra- traditional CRPGs. And, you know, it is. It, it, it really is. borrows a lot from that tabletop RPG heritage. It does. I think it's really the setting and the theme that changes my expectations, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and they make all interactions so entertaining. Mm-hmm. I think that's also it. Like, we can't deny as gamers there's a certain thrill of combat, you know, mm-hmm. tact, especially with uh, RPGs. You know, uh, you often have to really use your head unless maybe you have an OP character. You can't just brute weight, force your way through. Uh, You have to get creative or clever, maybe set up ambushes and, uh, you know, build your characters, have some synergy and so on, you know, which makes it fun or combo your spells and blah, blah, blah. Um, There's a certain thrill there. Um, That's that's hard to deny. Um, But basically, you know, what makes a game fun? Of course, that's a that's a. That's a broad question, and it really ultimately very subjective. We could all probably find one game where, like, well, that isn't fun for me, but for us, oh, it was super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been doing some of our favorite games of all time, but we've had some overlap there. Um, still got to do some with Lily, though, if she ever has more time for that. Um, but what I'm trying to say is Disco Elysium made sort of every interaction, like, absurd, bizarre, hilarious, weird, unexpected, so just... Basically, the whole experience of the game was always giving you some kind of like fun feedback from whatever you did. Mm. You know, you just wander around and pick up bottles or whatever, and the game would like something strange would happen. Um, and I think that's what, because because it uh, what, what would you call it? it? Like personified all your emotions and thoughts. It was so so outrageous in a good way. So your typical CRPG, um. You know, it has, you know, any anyone worth its salt will have cool characters with interesting flaws and backstories and goals and ambitions and friendships and rivalries and all this kind of stuff, because that's what makes it fun. It's, it lets you chew on it as a player and, and interact with it. But, um, you know, you have, uh, I forget your partner's name in Disco Elysium, the cop guy, Kim or Kim. something. Kim. Um, yeah, Kim. But nonetheless, you basically embody to an extreme the character with your thoughts and your cabinet and your this and your that. And mm. um, so CRP, like that's what makes it so interesting mm. uh, just to focus on that narrative and that experience of the character. Cause it's so visceral and so detailed. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't seen like a game that has like combat and narrative do that because of, well, I don't think it could. Mm. Um, I think to just go to its credit excluded 
I mean, I think there's one or two situations where you can like shoot or punch a guy or something, but it's like super uncommon. It's not the, and it's not really combat. It's just like an event, right? It's- yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's an event. Yeah. A standoff with the, um, the, the, the union guys or the docks mm-hmm. or something. Um, so once again, I think the setting and theme is important, but also the fact that it has all these systems to make anything you more or less anything you do in the game entertaining. Um, whereas a traditional CRPG, even a really well done story with cool characters and backgrounds, I think Divinity does this pretty well. Baldur's Gate 3 has a whole cast of seemingly also very interesting characters. Rogue Trader also seems very interesting. I'm sure the Pathfinder games are good. Mm-hmm. You know, the old, I don't remember now because I only played a demo of the old Neverwinter Nights. Um, but, you know, I hear great things about the Earth, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and Icewind Dale and I don't know what others. Um, but to me, those games don't offer a compre or encompassing enough experience around the ex- of the narrative to stand on that alone. Whereas a game like Disco Elysium does because of all these other facets to it. That's my, that's my, uh, sure. Opinion. I, 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 I get you on that front. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, but it's really just a matter of focus, right? Because these games also do have combat in them. They've, partially focused on combat but if they didn't then they would have focused on all these other things to make all the other systems more engaging so i that's that's fair that's fair right like let's say it will not a baller's gate game because that is expectations of combat but let's say you're in you know it's kind of like what they did with tales from the borderlands if anyone here ever played that um you're in the borderlands universe but instead of being you know the epic vault hunter with guns you're just like some random schmuck trying to make their way in the Borderlands universe. So, mm-hmm. um, but it made a really compelling story and, and it was very fun. It was a very highly rated game. Um, and it actually eventually became canon in the universe and stuff. So that was cool. But mm. I, now I wonder, you know, I think the way I would want, I would like the way I would actually play one of these kinds of games in a, in a fantasy or sci-fi setting um, is you would have, you know, I don't know, maybe you're just some hapless bard or whatever, making your way in the world or what have maybe you could pick a few things, but mm. you would have to exclude all the like combat classes mm. or maybe combat orientated races or something. So in, um, in Pathfinder Kingmaker, you, um, you, so I don't think it's a spoiler to say this because it's kind of in the title. You become a baron or a baroness and start ruling a barony or a kingdom eventually, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's a major system in the game, but it's also one of many. And you can turn it off entirely if you don't like it. Um, But it has a lot of interesting systems in it where you can pick who's your advisors for certain areas of ruling your kingdom. You have like these little mini city builder kind of things, not, you know, city skyline or anything. Just, you know, pick some buildings you want in, in a village and stuff. And events happen all the time where you can pick advisors to solve certain crises or whatever that can happen People come to speak to you in your throne room and you react to what they say. And frankly, this system could, in my opinion, be an entire game in its own right. And it's just this little system in, in, in Kingmaker. It's almost impressive, again, that you know it's it's in there as just a thing. And there's many other things. And it's so well done that it almost could be a game in its own right. But I think if they had focused almost exclusively on that and made that a game... That could also be fun and good in itself. So I think if you were to do something like that, 
a system like that could be an interesting angle to take as well, because there there is a lot of interesting conflict resolution, both between what happens in your kingdom as a whole, the people that come to visit you on your throne room, and how your advisors may conflict in opinion about what you do, what each of them do independently in the direction of the kingdom as a whole and stuff. Right. That's fair. That's fair. And that's, I guess, also why a number of these like um, city type simulator games um, or Crusader and so on are very compelling because there's all this intrigue and management. That's true. I shouldn't, um, how you say, dismiss that idea either. And I wasn't, I just wasn't thinking of it. Hmm. I think that can be compelling. I forget the name of the game because I'm so bad with names, but somebody did a year or two ago make the whole game. And, and it is, you're just a king in a throne room or queen, I forget which. And that's the whole game is people come to your throne room, you make decisions and advisors, and it goes by like day or year or whatever. And mm. that's the whole game. It's just that throne room mechanic. <laughs> there was it, a it, thing like that, that, maybe what you're thinking of, but it's a lot simpler. That was called Reigns. But that was like almost Tinder with this thing where you had like swipe oh. left and swipe right for, <laughs> for the events to, you know, do the thing. No, you're this is some indie, indie type game, pixel okay. game a year or two back. Uh, decently okay. popular. I forget the name. I don't think it was on Mac, though. Okay. Um, but it was like a similar idea. Yeah, basically how to make it yeah, how to make a game compelling without combat. I guess you could maybe you could even call combat a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it still takes talent and effort to make engaging combat, especially over the course of a long game. And not just like, okay, this is fun for half an hour or an hour. It's like okay, how do you make it fun for a whole game? That's also requires lots of skill and everything. Um just as making uh, a story compelling for so long also requires its own skill. Mm-hmm. Um it's true. I've, I have played some more narrative-heavy board games that have minimal combat, like Tainted Grail, for example, um, which is like Dark Arthurian Legend stuff. Um, and I, it's probably like eighty percent story, twenty percent combat, roughly. And but so that the story being compelling through the whole game, but honestly, around two thirds the way through the game, the um combat got so repetitive i started skipping it other than a couple like boss encounters just i literally just started skipping every combat encounter because it wasn't fun anymore but Mm. the story was really cool the exploration was really cool that's what i wanted to keep playing so um yeah i feel like that game basically shouldn't just have any combat at all Mm. um but you know that's anyway that's a board game it's neither a video game or a D &D game (laughs) you know it's just it's all cards you know resolution there's no dice um anyway it was like also like open world semi-open world so yeah lily any any thoughts on all this or like you know do do you prefer okay here's here's a question um to you lily do you prefer playing more on the video game side do you prefer video games that have like more of a D heavy focus or rule set or would you rather kind of keep that on the tabletop and just play, you know, your Mass Effects and your whatever, like more like games that are quote unquote RPGs, but they're not classic RPGs. You know, I think it depends on the game. Uh, it doesn't feel fair to compare an RPG like Mass Effect, which is, you know, not, it's more of a shooter with story elements, right? Right, yeah. The story is fantastic, but the core of the gameplay is shooting things, you know? And and right, majority yeah. of the game, you're running around shooting things. Like, that. that is the game. Um, you know, if, if you were to cut all the story out of Mass Effect, would it still be a good game? 
probably not. I I don't I don't think it would. Um, but then you have games like Call of Duty, which is like you don't you don't need a story there. <laughs> like that that is the gameplay loop, and that that has its own you know charm to it. For CRPGs, though, it it definitely benefits from having a fixed mechanic, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be D and D. Um, like Rogue Trader, for example, um, it's not actually based on D and D, which I mean, I guess it's based on a system which is based on D and D. But um, uh, oh god, what was the name of that? Pathfinder. No, uh, there is a tabletop um, RPG um, for 40k. Um, I think it's I think it's actually just called Warhammer 40k Roleplay. Um, I, I I think I've heard of that, so I think that is just what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like if you if you look at um, Rogue Trader's character screen, for example, right? You have weapon skill, ballistic skill. Um, strength, toughness, agility, intelligence, perception, um, willpower, fellowship, instead of, you know, your Pathfinder, um, which your, or your Pathfinder D&D, strength, dex, con, um, intellect, wisdom, charisma, right? Like, it's, it's got, it's got a different system, and that's, you know, that fits for that, because that's the genre, that's what it was made for. Um, so it doesn't just have to be D&D, but, you know, fixed systems are definitely beneficial to CRPGs um, and to an extent JRPGs, I think, you know, they, they kind of have their own thing going, but you know, it's, it's got that internal rule system that lets you, um, lets you kind of play tabletop games without playing tabletop games, you know, um, for a casual game, that is very, very story focused. Those those have huge benefits, you know. Um, especially if if you don't have time to have a a tabletop group, you know, like you you can't. There's no there's no uh, group in the area. You can't find a group, or you just don't have time. Um, that still gives you a good story, and at least for a single playthrough, it's it's a lot of fun. Like I've not. I've not replayed any RPGs, I don't think. There is an RPG I do want to replay, which is um, Wrath of the Righteous. Um, we were talking about that earlier, just because it has those different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, not every game does that, right? Um, I think... Uh, what was what was that other RPG? Uh, you were talking about it earlier, uh, with the... Uh, with the skipping... Uh, certain things with with uh, certain encounters by using persuasion. Oh, divinity, original sin. divinity. Yes, yeah. thank you. I'm sorry. I'm I've been out of the gameplay loop. No um, worries. No worries. You know, divinity. You know, I did not have an urge to replay it, and I know, um, I know a lot of people love replaying divinity, and I think the multiplayer aspect. You know, if I had a multiplayer group to play it with, I think I would replay it. I think that definitely helps it. Uh, but the single player, I just didn't feel the urge to replay it because I didn't feel there were those momentous branches like what Wrath of the Righteous has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I, I think yeah. uh, to, to kind of sum it up, like, yes, it, it, it is very advantageous in the right circumstance. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. 
I guess what I'm excited to see as game development, you know, graphics are peaking a little bit. They're not as like next gen jumps as they used to be. So, um, you know, I'm hoping, you know, game devs, whether it's indies or otherwise, Larian used to be an indie studio. They're not anymore. (laughs) They're an independent studio, but they're not an indie studio. That's important to note. Um, Yeah, but that people can... Um, you know, I still like a good looking game, but what I really like is polished gameplay. And I do, um, I look forward in the next few years, even, even the evolutions from say Divinity Original Sin 2 to Baldur's Gate 3, they're not the same game, but there's some clear inspirations like the origin character system, um, is, is passed over to Baldur's Gate 3 and I don't know what else, but maybe just that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just talking to a friend of mine, uh, Mike who is a D&D guy, he's a 40K guy, he's a board game guy, he video games on the side. Um, but he's just playing Baldur's Gate 3, but then he's like, okay, I want to wait for a release, and then he went back to play Divinity Original Sin 2. And he was kind of complaining to me a little bit, like, well, I don't know if I like this game as much, and this and that. And I'm like, well, Baldur's Gate 3 also has benefited from five, six years more of game development and polish and more different systems. Mm-hmm. Um, though I think the dice rolling the more like D&D heavy rule set appeals to him, I think, coming from 40K, where he's used to like stat sheets and rolls for everything. So that, that sort of naturally appeals to him. But I do think it's just, you know, five years from now, you know, be cool if we're all still here chatting to each other. Um, like what, like will we look back at Baldur's Gate 3 and be like, oh yeah, you know, that game did this thing cool, but now they're doing all these other cool things. Or maybe what's the next evolution of a game like Disco Elysium? There's so many Disco Elysium spinoffs like in development right now. I don't mean official spinoffs. I mean copycats, for lack of a better word. Mm. There's one set in Australia. There's one in like steampunk fantasy London where you can play like a, a Minotaur and a this and a that. Um, but it just to use practically like copy paste the same systems from Disco Elysium, but of course their own story. Um so I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see copycats. I want to see evolution, you know. Um, I, I don't think like using the same gameplay systems for something like the the Disco Elysium thing. I don't really think matters. Uh, it's it's, a, it's similar to how like you know, as we mentioned before, Baldur's Gate One, Two, Neverwinter the Night. They were all based on the same D and D version. They all had the same gameplay mechanics effectively, but what made them different was the environment, the art, the story, all that, right? And I think Disco Elysium systems, what makes Disco Elysium good is not its systems. Like, it has fine systems. What makes it good is its story. It's its world and all that, right? So That's I, true. If, if another studio wants to basically try and take that gameplay system and make something different with it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, well, I mean, you, you maybe the legal department of the Disco Elysium people <laughs> would argue, I don't know. But, um, I, you know, evolution, progress, evolution of game design, all that's fine. But there's also nothing wrong with just making a new story with a product that basically exists, right? Um, we, we've done it a lot in the past where, you know, sometimes there's big evolutions where we, like, discover that doing it this way works really well for video games or something, but sometimes you also just got to make something cool with a lot of artistic inspiration and it doesn't need to be revolutionary. Especially if it's a proven system that people already like, 
Um, you know, especially if you're another indie game dev, I can see the appeal, especially mm-hmm. you want to sort of maybe offload some of the risk. And the risk is then in your own, what you just said, the creative side, like, oh, what are my creative merits or our creative merits? Can we stand on the strength of that within this template, you know, that someone else already established? That's not unreasonable. Um, maybe it's just my preference. I'm really, for whatever reason, in the last year or two in my my gaming, and I mean both like board games and video games, um, I basically just feel like I just want new experiences rather than playing the same old. That's why I've stopped playing all the like quote unquote endless games. I used to just bury my head in for years on end because mm. I don't just want to keep playing the same thing. I want something you know different and newer, interesting. So I think that's just. Not, I think, uh, now that I'm saying it out loud. Sure. It's, uh, I, I, it's, just, it's, coming from, it's just coming from me, right? like where I'm at right now in my entertainment preferences. That's it. That, that also makes good sense. Um, but even within that, I don't think something like the Disco Elysium system is tired yet. It is, you know, it's had one game. It's still it's fairly true, fresh, true. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you, you could argue that, you know, a, a box standard shooter is a very tired mechanic, but, you know, a lot of people still find enjoyment in that, right? Yeah. No, it's true. And as I was saying that, I'm thinking like, yeah, yeah, right, Mr. Call of Duty hypocrite, you know, yeah. you were you're just playing Modern Warfare. Not recently, though. I mean, I got really last big into it in like 2019, 2020, you know, mm-hmm. the, the reboot of the reboot of the reboot or whatever, you know, it is. Um, but I would argue that game was a pretty reasonable evolution of mm. the Modern Warfare series, not necessarily its subsequent games, Vanguard and Modern Warfare 2, but the 2019 version was fairly like a fairly big reboot, but nonetheless, can you argue like some people would argue, well, a shooter's still a shooter at the end of the day, you know, is it really doing anything that different, you know, eh, you know, yeah. Yeah. To, to a well, large there's... extent, how fresh something feels just comes down to implementation and execution, not necessarily the core concept, right? Just like shooters can feel drastically different based on how they implement the same systems. Sorry, Lily, what also... were you saying? Oh, sorry. Yeah, there's also something to be said there about like how many times you can use the same gaming formula, right? Like, sure, lots of people play bog standard shooters, but like Call of Duty, for example, how many people who played, you know, the original Black Ops <laughs> back on back in, uh, you know, Mac uh, Mac Black Ops uh, 24 hour Nuketown, you know, still <laughs> still play. Uh, Call of Duty now, you know, like, and and I know, in every genre of game, no matter where you go, like, there there are some people that'll be like, oh, it was, it was at its peak in like World of Warcraft, for example, like that. That's just an easy easy example. World of Warcraft was at its peak in Wrath of the Lich King. Was it really, or is that just when you got tired of it? You know, like, <laughs> and, and and there's something to be said there about like. Yeah, the writing could have fallen off, the gameplay fell off, whatever. But like, you know, me, I got into World of Warcraft, like really, really into it in Legion, which is like a newer expansion. A couple have come out since, but, um, you know, that was after having played ever since Burning Crusade, you know. So I played through Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King, all these expansions. And I was like, wow, Legion is the best expansion for me. And then the next expansion came out. I was just burnt out on the game and I was like, wow, this expansion sucks. I'm done. <laughs> um, and then, you know, kind of looking back on it. Yeah. The writing and the, and the, the quality absolutely fell, but 
you know, also part of it was just like I was kind of tired of playing the same game for so long. And and I think there's there's this expectation of games that like, oh, this this next one has to be new, right? Mm. But there's only so many ways you can you can introduce the same thing, right? Like sports games are a perfect example for this. It's like, why do people buy that sports games every year? It's just the same one, right? Like all you're seeing is, is names on the screen change. You're seeing some numbers on the jerseys change. Some jersey colors mm. are changing, you know, that's it. And it's like, you know, people come in at different times. People, people mm. join the game sphere per se at a, at, in like 2020 and they and then 2023 rolls around and all of a sudden just something clicks and they're like you know this isn't really fun anymore mm. and rpgs are no different like at the end of a day of the day you know D is uh it's really played the same way it's the same stat blocks you can rename them all you want you can split up categories whatever but it is the same stats it's the same skills it's the same um you know, even stories, right? Like you, you can you can take the same uh, same story cookie cutter. You know, swap out some names, swap out some species, and it's going to be the same thing. And it, at the end of the day, it's really how much enjoyment you find from that, mm-hmm. and that goes beyond the game itself as well, right? Like Knights of the Old Republic, for example, great game. Graphics are terrible. I'll still play it. <laughs> like you know, it's still a fun game, and and there's there there's something that goes beyond the gameplay loop um, when you're finding enjoyment in games. Like, well said. I I agree with that a lot. Um, just something that the funny I thought of because you brought up Knights of, of the Old Republic. Bioware sort of like went more and more away from the D and D systems as time went on in their gameplay design. Like, if I remember correctly, they made the original Baldur's Gate, didn't they? Um, did they? Holy I moly. Think they did. You, so I, th- I think they made the original Baldur's Gate games, and then um, uh, Knights of the Old Republic yes. was also based on a D&D system. I think it was 2 second edition or 3.5, one of the two. But then, like, the Mass Effect series went away from the D&D kind of system entirely. And then you have sort of the reverse evolution with Larian Studio that made games that didn't use a and d like system, but now they take ownership of all those games and go into that <laughs> system. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, I Lily made some fantastic points there, I think, on that are really uh, intelligent, especially this idea of maybe when you enter or when you exit a game, let's call it an ecosystem or sphere, um, because there are so many gaming, there's the RPG sphere and the shooter sphere and the RTS sphere, even though that's kind of on the download these days, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see they're making some new ones. Um, you know, the MMO sphere has of course been popular ever since forever, forever, whether it's EverQuest and wow, and whatever, maybe some of their rune runescape and, you know, all that jazz or going back to the muds. Yeah, aren't they called muds? Yeah. Yeah. The multi-user you know. dungeons. Yeah, you know, those, you know, so MMO sphere has kind of been around almost forever, so to mm. speak. And it probably will be, you know. Um, you know, the next big evolution of that will probably be VR ones that, you know, you're ready player one type stuff and yay many years. Um, yeah, but yeah, when, when you, when you're onto something, I guess I, I was on a big, um, turn based, like, turn-based whatever action RPG sort of spree. And I went around playing. I played, uh, 
what was it called? Vermin Shard, this little indie RPG where it's basically like Vermintide, but in like indie pixel form, mm. but it's turn-based. So you're like, you know, the rats have taken over the world and <laughs> you're just trying to make your way through and scavenge and live. Um, I played that and I played this very, um, how you call it? Like, uh, uh, well, the, it's in the name. It's called Showgunners. It's a very, it's like a game show, like, but to the death type thing, mm. but it's all just turn-based combat, but with this sort of game show flair. So I just ran around playing, but all these games, you know, could be completed in like five, 10, 12 hours. And I went around playing two, three, four of these in a row. I was just really in the mood for them. And I was like, maybe I'll reinstall XCOM and <laughs> get a bunch of mods going. And I'm like, okay, that's too much. I don't want to dump like a hundred hours. I just wanted to play for like 10 or 12 or whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, sometimes you're just really in the mood for something. And sometimes you need a long break for something. You know, I've never been an MMO guy, but I was pretty much always a, uh, a MOBA guy ever since I got into them, man, back in 2009 or something. But I got to say, I, yeah, I kind of burned out around 2019, 2020, 10 years later, countless games, zillions of hours. I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty up, up to the brim. Well, like, up, uh, I'm like drowning in this stuff. I kind of want to crawl out and <gasps> take a breath somewhere else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't really ever feel the interest to go back to playing them, you mm-hmm. know? Maybe games that are combos of them. There's... um. You know, even even Overwatch is like a hybrid. They have stolen MOBA ideas. Um, arguably, Rainbow Six Siege has, or even certain board games have. So kind of like ideas of it, but I don't really want to go and dive into that genre again. But The champion-based shooters. Yeah, yeah, Paladins, what have you. Yeah. Um, but, but I think certain genres, at least for me, are a little more timeless. I'll pretty much always enjoy a shooter, or at least maybe on and off. I'll pretty much always enjoy an RPG game, at least on and off or turn-based, like, tactical-type game. You know, maybe not f- literally forever, but, like, oh, maybe I'll play a bunch this year and skip a year and play a bunch another time. And I'm sure all, you know, serious gamers um, or life lifers, life gamers, whatever <laughs> that is, people who game all the time, at least on computers and consoles. I don't know, the mobile realm. Like, maybe everyone has, like, a genre or two that's, like, their genre. Like, they can always play it more or less. Um I, I I feel like it's it always comes down to execution because there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good games out there there's a lot of mediocre games out there and there's a lot of bad games out there and it can cross any type of genre and of course you can burn out on a certain style for a bit and you be more into one style or over another for a while um, but when it all comes down to it I think it's just execution more than than what you're doing of course again preferences but um like i'd rather at uh, i'd rather play pathfinder kingmaker and wrath of the righteous and Baldur's gate 3 all after each other than you know this intermingle with mediocre shooters because all of these are high quality games and they execute their ideas well and i think in in the end executing on an idea well matters more well, it it matters a lot. I was almost going to say it matters more than what the idea is. Obviously, some ideas are just bad ideas, <laughs> but like <laughs> at least for like the 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 traditional genres that have been proven to work, at least to some degree, it's it's all about execution. How well do you make it happen? That's true. I would agree because yeah, a really a really polished, really well executed game really draws you in. It's compelling. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's engaging. 
yeah, it could be single player, it could be multiplayer, but you know, yeah, it's true. They stand out. So, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a good point as well. And I think like, kind of like what Lily was saying, maybe, and like kind of experiencing some wow burnout, even with the quality drop. Um, but it could just be like, it's not like she doesn't enjoy RPGs. She plays Final Fantasy and then other stuff and she's played Divinity and this and that. So it's like, yeah, maybe you just need a really like smoothly, cleanly executed experience within a genre you enjoy to kind of be, <clears throat> sorry, to be revitalized or regain your interest. And sometimes that could just mean an entirely different game. <laughs> well, with the wow thing, I, the, the, so this is very much my opinion. Um, I have, my biggest problem with MMOs and stuff has always been that it's it's like one thing that you're expected to pour a bajillion hours into, and it it almost wants to be like a job and a life in its own right, and like control everything. Uh, it, it expects you to put so much time and effort into it that it's the only thing you do, almost right. Um, and at some point, I feel like variation is required. Like I can play you know 200 300 hours of pathfinder and be happy but it will have a fixed end there is like an end to the story an end to the campaign and into the characters levels and all that but mmos are often designed in such a way that they intend to go on forever and i i personally dislike that and it's part of why i don't like mmos as much as so many other styles of games um it's a similar thing with like these TV shows that go on forever where I'd, I'd much rather watch a movie or something <laughs> than, you know, the Horton saga or whatever that just has a bajillion episodes and never expects to finish. Right. Uh, I, I like finished narratives and experiences that, yeah. That's interesting. Lily, how do you feel about that as someone who does play a lot of MMOs and all kinds of games, you know, what's sort of your thought on this sort of endless live service type game versus maybe ones that have more fixed endings i mean it's it's definitely a struggle like as someone who likes stories likes telling stories um i i definitely struggle to get into mmos at first um mmos especially you know just a pet peeve of mine that they do all the time it's just these these lost storylines or like plots that are just dropped right like uh, World of Warcraft does this thing a lot where you go to a a region, right? Like a leveling region, like, oh, you're level 10 to 20, go to the ghost lands, right? And you play all these stories there and you meet all these characters and then everything you do there just kind of vanishes, right? Like it, it has no effect on the world. It has like the characters just kind of disappear. And it's like, it, it, it's, it's got its shortfalls. Um, I think one thing that made MMOs more bearable for me is kind of, I'd uh I'd be on role playing servers, um, so you can kind of write your own character. You, it's like it's kind of like D and D in the MMO. Um, some people think it's incredibly nerdy, and they're like, "Oh, only losers go to RP servers," and like, you know, but those are the people that are just there for the gameplay loop. I I feel you know like, oh, I want to get to end game. I want to do the raids. I want to get the best gear, uh, the best in slot stuff. And it's like, okay, uh, that that's fair. That's your jam. That's fine. But I'm a storyteller. I like um, I like telling stories. I like um, listening to stories. So, you mm-hmm. know, that that was very much player interaction that made it for me. Um, in in that case, it's the same thing with Final Fantasy. Like, I play on a server that has a lot of player interaction 
into the role-playing part of the role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people forget that, right? Like you have MMO, but it's not just an MMO, it's an MMORPG. That's the full acronym, right? And a lot of people forget about the RP part of the MMORPG. Um, and I think a lot of games have kind of fallen victim to themselves on that front. World of Warcraft especially is super guilty of doing that, where um, early on there was an emphasis on storytelling and how your character fit into it. Like if you go back and play World of Warcraft Classic, there's a lot of little things that that make it so that you stay with these characters for longer. Um, you experience them over multiple areas, you know, um, it's kind of gotten back to that recently, but it's very rushed. Um, a lot of World of Warcraft stories are like, hey, the world's ending again, and then you go <laughs> do a couple raids, and it's like, hey, you saved the world again, and it's like, <laughs> you know, you, you look back at World of Warcraft Classic, and it's just, it's it's a lot more grounded, the story takes a lot longer to finish, and, you know, I don't know, there's there's a balance there. Um, some MMOs get it right, some don't, and some just have player interaction to buff it out. So I think it it it's definitely a weakness, and the endless nature of it makes it so that um, you can't really have a resolution unless you artificially dial it down. Right? Like it comes back down to that. It comes full circle, right? We started out with not having the the human value, and here we are again. You know, having a human aspect to it can help ground the story. But I think a lot of MMOs with their inbuilt stories are making it so that the story never ends and that's how they earn money that's how they release expansions that's their <laughs> tactic um and it's clearly working for them because you know people keep buying into it people keep playing um but that attracts a certain kind of player um yeah. and i think if you're a story focused um player if you if you want a grounded rpg mmos are not the way to go um, you know, there are exceptions. You can find a good community, um, but then that's not really the game feeding you, right? That's other players feeding you. Mm-hmm. So that's wholly reliant on you finding a good community. And like anything with people, <laughs> people can be people can be stupid, people can be mean, people can just be incompetent. So, you know, playing an MMO just to find story. It's it's not going to be the best of best of times. It's actually quite a, kind of an interesting facet with the whole human contact thing here, because when we were talking earlier about you know how these single player CRPGs compared to TTRPGs, tabletop role playing games, um, one of the things we were talking about is how the lack of human interaction means you lose something in the storytelling, where the the MMOs kind of have all these humans who you can interact with and have dynamism with, you know, live interactions where people are able to react to literally everything you can think of because they're real people. But because there's so many of them and it's not really, you know, part of the structure of things, all those players individually are less capable of influencing the path of the game. So even though you then have the human interaction it matters less in in a you know fixed gameplay storytelling kind of way. It can still matter a lot for the individual experience, of course, if, depending on how you you enjoy it and how you find. But you you gain that human interaction, but not in the same way again, even though it's there. 
kind of an interesting uh, back and forth between how it all works. That is interesting. I never thought of that before, but that is funny. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know what there's, I don't know what an average size for a D&D group is. I'm just going to go with like four, but I know they could range from like two to seven or eight or whatever it is. Four, four to eight is very common range. But. Four to eight, right. So, um, well, <clears throat> once again, going with critical role, because that's the only thing I've seen. Um, I think it's one plus six or seven on average, one being the DM. So on average, I think they are seven people. And I feel like sometimes there's a little too much downtime for between things, but it's also, I don't mind it as a, as a viewer, but if I was a player, I'd be annoyed, but I'm not a D and D player in a big group. So it doesn't matter. Um, um, yeah, the MMO thing's interesting. Also, I, the brief times I've played WoW, which is the only time I did level a torrent to level 20 was so I could get a Paladin Hearthstone skin. Uh, <laughs> um, but like some Priorities. of that was, yeah, some of that was like, I enjoyed the game more to like basically just messing with players, not in a bad way, but just like emoting and following them around or doing a few quests together. Like that was more interesting than this whole like save the universe narrative type thing. Like the human element to me was the most compelling part of the experience, but as Casper was just saying, it actually has a very limited effect on the overall game systems. That's more of like your individual interactions or experience. Um, but it seemed fun. Or watching something like Grand Theft Auto Online RP servers, like on Twitch, pretty entertaining. When everyone's Lily made a good point, some people are like dumb, mean, or incompetent. Assuming that's not there and everyone's like competently playing their role, it's pretty vastly entertaining. Mm. Um, you know, um, people just being taxi drivers and cops and robbers and, you know, especially if they have a, like, what do you call it? Good improv, you know, there's just some like ludicrous situations can arise that are very entertaining. So that's, you know, but that's once again, a very particular slice of the game, mm-hmm. you know, um, that the players have to create more like TTRPG style almost. Yeah. yeah. But that, but I think it's also what do you call it? Easily, easily fails. It's very easy to poke holes in it. If mm-hmm. like one of the quote unquote actors stumble in the scene, it can kind of try and pull the whole thing down, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, good food for thought on all sorts of RPGs, tabletop, MMOs, CRPGs, JRPGs. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the CRPG games exist on Mac. <laughs> they do, which is nice. Yeah, big shout out to Owlcat and Larian who do um, Divinity and Baldur's Gate 3 now. Owlcat does Pathfinder, Kingmaker, Wrath of the Righteous. Now they're doing Rogue Trader. Um, we need more quality 40k games out there. So from what I've seen, Rogue Trader shipping up to be one. And especially based on the previous games, which I think are both rated very positive on Steam for Owlcat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, games workshops, just, let's just say they're a little too liberal with their licensing. <laughs> and there's a lot of really mediocre or bad 40k games out there, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of really good ones too. But, um, yeah, I'm happy to do something of, especially with this narrative. I don't really think there's anything that narratively focused as far as I can game. There's tons of strategy games. I mean, the Dawn of War series has a decent narrative, but no one would call it like amazing. Right. It's just, it's solid. It's like not bad. It's not terrible. But it's also pretty bog standard for 40k. Oh no, there's a heretic traitor. Oh no, there's a chaos demon summon thing you have to beat up. You know. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same old, just another day in the in the Imperium of Man. Yeah, pretty much. So that's why I'm really excited for Rogue Trader. I think both the setting, the character you're supposed to embody as a Rogue Trader and what they do naturally kind of sidesteps a lot of that and gets you out there more and just kind of the nitty gritty of the society and of you know the nobility and the poor and the good and the bad and I think it has uh, the possibility to be far more interesting, do something far more interesting with the lore and the setting than any other 40 game, 40k game before it. Mm. Uh, so I'm very excited for it if I can get past its systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, all good things for for the Mac. Most major MMOs are there for Mac, of course. World of Warcraft still on Mac. Final Fantasy, I believe, still has a Final Fantasy fourteen or whatever it is. I think still the yeah, Mac version. Yeah, so for Final Fantasy, it's only the MMO. The uh, traditional style RPGs don't exist for a yeah, Mac. Right. Um, however, uh, with uh, so Game Porting Toolkit got an update to version one point zero point two or one point zero two, I think it's called, um, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it it's mildly improved performance, like five FPS um, on some Macs for some games. It improved which games run. Um, some some games were broken because of cutscenes that was basically fixed. And a weird move from Apple's side, they introduced thirty two bit support to their Wine compatibility layer. Interestingly, um, but I recently checked out uh, Final Fantasy VII remake as well and. You know, on my 16-inch M1 Max MacBook Pro, getting a, in the intro scene at least. I don't know if performance is worse outside, but 1080p all high settings. I'm getting 60 to 80 FPS with the new update. So oh, you can run cool. the Final Fantasy games through that, I guess. But the the um, it's only the MMO that that exists natively. Well, right. even that doesn't really run natively. It is actually you know you can download it as if it were native, and it'll like behave like a Mac app, but Behind the scenes, it's actually running um, through a specialized crossover bottle made in collaboration with Code Weavers. So, right, yeah. But fortunately, it's not too hard to be an RPG fan on the Mac overall. I mean, there's a couple MMOs out there you may want to play, and yeah, mm. you may need to find a workaround. Um, but as far as like you know, non MMO RPGs, you have a pretty wide selection available. With the vast, pretty much all the major ones, um, even over the last several years, have been on Mac. Once again, not always right away, but um, it seems to be more common that uh, they're developing. You know, Baldur's Gate 3 had a Mac version quite early. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue Trader has a Mac version early in beta and stuff. So I'm hoping that trend continues because I think that's great. Yeah, definitely. More same day, um, not six, 12 months later or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then if you're the type of player who wants to hop in on a beta and kind of do some bug testing or a little feedback on the game, you can do that too, you know? So that's always cool. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll see something more from the game porting toolkit for now. It's kind of a holding pattern, lots of possibilities and potential, but you know, we don't really know where it will go until time will tell. Um, but yes, plenty of exciting. Uh, see, it's never really been bad to be an RPG gamer on the Mac because even way back, in the day, all those, all the, all the Baldur's Gates and Neverwinters and Icewind Dales, they all had Mac ports um, and a bunch of other stuff in yep. between. So, good deal. All right, peeps, I think we can wrap it up here today, unless there's some other thought or comment someone wants to bring to the table. 
I think it's a good time to end. Already? Yeah. Oh. Okay, well, we already did a soundbite, but I'll kind of do another and mishmash them together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right, that will wrap up episode 40. Yay, episode 40. A lot of fun. And um, the return of Lily. Yay, more fun. Yay. Woo. Yay. For like a month, and then I go yeah. back into the field. <laughs> well, well, hopefully it can grab you for at least like one episode of your favorite games. Um, yeah. You know, and rattle through some of those. Um however many you want to do. Um, so we'll, we'll look at, to do that soon. And um, yeah, so thanks for being here, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> it was nice being here. Bye. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Trivia.